0: Thanks for joining us on First Responders Bridge, the podcast. Fire Chief Anthony Bizarro is with the Bellbrook, Ohio Fire Department. Chief Bizarro has been with the Bellbrook Fire Department since 1995. He is a fire and EMS instructor and served on the Ohio Task Force One for 12 years. We also have Anthony's wife, Michelle, joining us today. Michelle was an ER nurse and a nurse practitioner. You're listening to First Responders Bridge, the podcast. Hey, good afternoon, Anthony and Michelle. Thanks for joining us today on The Bridge, the podcast. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself, if you could, uh, I guess, each one of you individually, and then if you could uh, just uh, separately, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Sure. I'm I'm Anthony. I... uh... Was a firefighter, am a firefighter, uh, father of two, and uh, been in the service for about 28 years, uh, enjoying the job and, and having a good time.
2: I'm Michelle. I'm a nurse practitioner that used to be an ER nurse. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's about it.
0: About <laughs> me? I doubt that's it, but uh, <laughs> we appreciate it. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Anthony and Michelle, uh, obviously you're you're a married couple. Um how long have you two been married?
1: We've been married 21 years this past May.
0: That's great. That's that's great. Um congratulations and uh can you share a little bit about um some of the peaks and valleys, I guess, uh uh throughout your marriage and as it relates to um, all of your public service and Michelle, you've seen it too. If you were an ER nurse, um, you know, you've experienced a lot of what we as first responders experience. So would you guys mind sharing a little bit of that?
2: Well, and I also was a EMT a volunteer as an EMT too. Um, peaks would be probably birth of children and having fun together when we're having fun. Um, the lows, probably the biggest one would be Anthony's mental health that kind of took a turn probably four to five years ago. That's probably been the biggest I guess valley besides we figured out that both of us cannot go to school at the same time. That is not okay.
0: <laughs> that's difficult. I always tell my I always tell my children. The longer we wait to go to school or the longer we wait to uh, progress in school, the harder it is.
1: Absolutely. I agree wholeheartedly there. I tried explaining that to my son as I was working on my bachelor's degree uh, and finishing that up. And I was like, man, you only got two more years, three more years of school left before you graduate high school. Don't, uh, don't delay if that's what you want to do because uh, life happens and activities and everything else and it makes it uh, very difficult to, to get on the computer and do any type of schoolwork uh, 10 o'clock at night, starting your night on, on homework. So uh, for me, some of the peaks, obviously uh, the job itself, very rewarding um, home life, uh, the birth of the kids and, and everything like that, that Michelle said, family vacations. Um, we have a very tight-knit group of friends, uh, and we love to get together and, and uh, have drinks and share stories and all that. Uh, low points, uh, probably uh, just the, the stresses of uh, family life and, and trying to balance all that uh, from working to a shift, going to a 40-hour schedule, um, and just trying to figure out which ends up most days.
3: Hey guys, it's Noah here. Thank you guys again for taking the opportunity and allowing us to talk with you for a few minutes. Um, Really quickly, Anthony, did you always want to be a firefighter? Tell us a little bit about um, your growing up and if you always wanted to go into this line of work, did you see yourself doing something differently? And then were you two married before Anthony became a firefighter or did that come later?
1: So the second question, no, we weren't married when I started my career in the fire service. Um, and to the first question, did I always want to be a firefighter? No, I actually, uh, attended university of Cincinnati, uh, and was going to start my career in law enforcement. And then I realized I was too smart. So I decided to become a firefighter (laughs) instead. Switched over to the dark side. Sorry sorry to my uh, cop friends out there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Many of them are saying the same thing, so that's okay.
1: (laughs) But no, I, uh, Actually, I started out in the fire service uh, in our hometown. We had a uh, an Explorer program that you could get in when you were 12 years old. Um, I had a, uh, a bad injury when I was in fifth grade um, and was told that I wasn't gonna be able to participate in sports uh, or anything like that. And uh, I, I was crushed at that time. And so my parents were trying to figure out something for me to get involved with. And uh happened to know the local assistant chief and, and explained my story to him. And, and they had a, a program for cadets and explorers. So I, I got involved in that and been with that ever since. Um, and, and now I hold the role as the fire chief for this department.
0: That's fantastic. You you mentioned something that uh, I think is important, Anthony, especially for firefighters, and that is going from shift work to a a 40-hour-a-week, and it's probably more than that, but 40-hour-a-week work week. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that? Because, you know, that, as you know, that's sometimes one of the reasons that people get into firefighting is because of the great schedule. Um, And when you have to make that shift, or at least you're weighing whether or not you want to promote up, I know those shift versus 40-hour weeks come into play. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I was on shift probably close to 18 years, 19 years. Um, In a way, it was great. I worked my 24. I was off 48. uh, Gave me plenty of time to get involved in uh, everything else, chores around the house, uh, kids' activities, whatnot. Uh, and doing everything like that. Um, And then uh, also my wife at the time, she worked nights. um, And so the way our schedules worked is uh, she was typically in the emergency room on my two days off. uh, And then I was home um, those two days. And then she would, uh, or I'm sorry, I would be at work and she would be at home uh, that day. And so for the first, like I said, 15, 18 years of our marriage, uh, we never slept in the same bed or saw each other at night, just the way our schedules worked out. So going to a 40-hour shift, uh, it was definitely a huge change. Um, at first, I, I really enjoyed it because it was new, exciting. Um, I was home every night with the family now, um, but then I started missing out on, uh, started missing uh, being at the station every third night with with the crews and and hanging out with the guys.
3: So, Michelle, he gets on the fire department. He starts going on these runs. When did you begin to see changes in Anthony? Were were they subtle or were they pretty drastic um, as they occurred?
2: They were more subtle when things first started. And I would say they really didn't start until maybe four or five years ago. There would be times where... It would be difficult and he would get angry, but we usually would talk through it and things would be better. And then probably about five years ago, things really took a turn with the subtle changes and then it just snowballed downhill.
3: Did your kids notice these changes as well?
2: Yes, tremendously. They got to the point where they wouldn't talk to him. They would just come to me. Hmm. They would try to ignore him. Mom, dad's in a bad mood. Dad's not talking. Dad's yelling. That's all he ever does. So they would just usually come to me.
0: And I don't know, I don't know Anthony or Michelle who this is a better question for, but um, where you're at today, you know, gives some perspective looking backwards. Does, uh, do you think there's a precipitating event or do you think it's just uh, uh, a lot of things kind of piled up together in the backpack that both of you have referred to four or five years ago? Is there something significant there?
1: I don't know if there's anything, any one event or something of significance that created that. I think it's just the the buildup over the years Uh, The realization that our uh, son, our our oldest son is getting ready to graduate and leave the house, Um, changes in positions at work, uh, extra stress uh, from the workplace, and uh, all those little things just adding up over and over and over again, uh, to me, I think it's what some of the the biggest events, I guess, that that kind of brought that on. Michelle may say something different, but uh, to me, those were the, the things that just kept piling up over yeah. time. And then, of course, the calls from work and everything like that to add that on to the mix of things.
0: How long have you been the fire chief there?
1: Um, I've been the fire chief since, um, I'm sorry, 2020, the end of 2020. I got promoted to fire chief. Uh, I served the role of deputy chief for about three years prior to that uh, and was administrative captain for uh, five, six years before that. Um, So I've been been up there for a little bit. um, And each each step, the one thing that I don't think they prepare us enough for is um, I I call it the silent stress of of the job, Um, just everything uh, just weighing on your shoulders a little bit and in each position, there's a little more responsibility, more responsibility. And then when you finally be, uh, get to the position of, of the top dog, if you will, um, all that responsibility lies on, on your shoulders. And there's nobody to to look up to, to say, well, you know, <laughs> I, I turn an eye here. I got somebody else that's going to take care of that. Well, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm where the buck stops. So, yeah. Uh, that that extra stress uh, has definitely played a lot into to a lot of this,
3: yeah, I understand that I get that anthony i uh in my experience working with first responders, I know that a lot of times first responders are not so quick to see and acknowledge the the things that they're struggling with right because that's lowest priority what's high priority is is helping other people and that makes me ask, when did you begin to see the changes in yourself? Was it something that you noticed quickly or was that something that took a lot longer to notice?
1: Oh, for me, it was definitely a a lot longer. Uh, Again, I think this is uh, safe to say for, for most, if not all the first responders being a uh, type A personality, uh, we're always there putting everybody else first. Um, Never sit down take a break. Uh, We got to be the fix it people. Um, But yet, Um, I couldn't even realize that in my own family, Mm. uh, uh, or, or, yeah, at home, um, that there was issues. Um, more or less, I, I made some pretty poor decisions and, uh, got caught in some of those decisions. And, uh, that's, that's when, uh, reality smacked me in the face pretty hard.
0: Yeah. Uh. You know, that's that's interesting, Anthony. I, I, one of the things I say often about firefighters and police officers, um, there are, are two constants I've seen with uh, every firefighter and every police officer. One is something you just said. We are all fixers. So it doesn't matter if it's a big or a small problem. Even if, if it's something that's our fault or something that we can have an impact on, we want to fix it. Um, and two is... Rarely do we want recognition for that or anything good. You know, we would rather no one know who we are and we kind of just fly below the radar. Absolutely. Both of those, um, I think, add stress to our daily lives, whether it's um, something that happens at home or something that happens at work. Uh, I'm really curious, too, uh, being around firefighters here in Columbus, uh, we have... A fantastic relationship between fire and police. Um, and that allows us to know a lot about each other's worlds. And one thing that I've always thought with firefighters, when you're on shift, if you go out to, you know, your generic regular run or a a really bad run, you have the opportunity to come back to the firehouse and sit down and whether it's a formal or an informal debrief, you have time to talk about it with the people that were on that run with you, which I think is healing. But when you go to that uh, work of administrative uh, in an office, mostly probably, and uh, not on the shift, that opportunity probably is not as uh, abundant, is it?
1: That, that's a uh, um, really good uh, description of, of administrative life, and I would have to agree with you 100%. Uh, when I was on shift, uh, the crews that I worked with, we were very tight. Um, in fact, uh, Michelle would probably say the same thing. Uh, oftentimes, I would put them before I put my own family, um, my home family first. And so, yeah, I always had those times to, to cut up debrief if you will um you know we all have uh in in this profession we have a very sick sense of humor and so we would have a way to uh joke and and get some of those things out um jumping up to that administrator role uh you you gotta you gotta watch some of those things now You, you gotta be able to uh set the example of what's proper and what's not proper as far as uh that sick humor and, and uh whatnot so um hanging out with the guys wasn't a thing anymore they uh i, I was their boss and and uh that's one of the things that they always teach you uh, it's, it's very difficult to go from buddy to boss and uh now now i'm the sellout if you will um mm-hmm. So it the the people that you can talk to and and um talk about those calls or share your feelings that you would feel somebody that you would feel comfortable with is far less than what it was when I was one of the one of the guys if you will.
0: Yeah, that's difficult. Michelle, I I would imagine that that was probably magnified too because um if I understood you guys correctly at that time you were also Uh, in the ER, and I know at least here in the central Ohio area, um, hospital organizations don't have as deep a a peer team or um, an opportunity to really debrief situations. Was that the same up there, and did that have an impact at all in your uh, home life, I guess?
2: Yeah, that is correct. Down here, there's not a lot of talking about it. I mean, especially in the emergency room, you get a bad patient in and you're trying to fix that one at the same time. You're trying to, you know, help somebody else and kind of multitasking the entire time. I don't necessarily think that contributed to it because by the point that he was kind of going downhill with his mental health, I had already transitioned into a nurse practitioner role. Yes, it's stressful, but it's a different kind of stress from what it was when I was in the emergency room because I practice family medicine now. So it's there's still the same stresses, but it's a little less, I would say. So that doesn't kind of make us headbutt as much.
3: That's great. Michelle, a few minutes ago, you said something that really stuck out to me because it's I hadn't really heard. A first responder family say this before you said up until about five years ago we talked and we would talk things out and that's a rarity, especially in first responder families so up about five years ago, was that something you noticed that just stopped completely or was that something that you noticed just started to to shift a little bit because again, seeing a family of first responders that openly communicates like that is very rare so that i I definitely admire that well,
2: I think we have that open communication because we both. I volunteered. He worked part-time, full-time on the same department. So we understood the background of like the calls that we would go on. Then when I started in the emergency room, same thing, kind of had that, that same similarities. And then I think once he started getting more into the administrative role, there's different stressors that that's when the communication kind of stopped and he just Mm. kind of shut down. And I would say it probably, was more subtle in it going downhill to not talking at all.
0: I'm really curious, Anthony, in the role that you're currently in, how have your experiences with, uh, administrative and critical stress, has that shaped the way you make decisions or, um, the support that you provide for other firefighters?
1: Uh, since, since attending the bridge and, uh, being um, a lot more aware of mental health, uh, especially in our profession, and and seeing the stats, or let me rephrase this, paying attention to the stats of suicide rates among first responders and and our LE friends. um, Those numbers are tremendous, and they're continuing to grow at uh, enormous rates. and so, since the bridge, um, I've reached out to a couple local organizations around uh, the Dayton area, and uh, this has become a, a very important topic for me uh, for our crews that uh, I, I encourage all of our our members to, to not be afraid to seek out. Um, I, I figure if their leader can stand up in front of a group of a group of firefighters, And uh, let them know that I'm broken uh, and that it's okay, that uh, there shouldn't be any shame in any of their games to do the same, Uh, whether they they make it open, such as I have done uh, for my department, or if they want to seek uh, counseling or help on the side um, without letting everybody know, I'm fully uh, in on that and um, support that 100%.
3: And Anthony, I, I applaud that because I think that's one of the biggest ways that we can break this stigma, right? Is because we hear at the bridge all the time, officers and firefighters who come in and say, I don't want to talk about my mental health because I'm afraid I'm going to get my gun and badge taken away, or I'm afraid they're going to pull me off the street, right? So having having somebody with rank come in and say, no, this is a priority, I think that's going to make a big game changer within the fire service, within law enforcement, within all, all the first responder realms. So thank you for, for doing that. That's something that's rare but it's something that we we are definitely starting to see a positive change in
1: yeah absolutely i I mean i'll admit um when when all this started coming out uh for me and uh more or less getting an ultimatum uh whether my family was going to to be here the next day that i come home or i'll be uh coming home to a house by myself uh i i was very uh i was very afraid to go to my boss about it because Uh, just like the stigma that's out there. Um, And and as you said, man, he's going to take me off my assignments. He's going to put me on light duty or put me on a a 30-day leave, whatever it is, until I could get my stuff figured out. And uh, I was very afraid of what that outcome would be, because uh, I didn't want to be that person. Um, But since, uh, again, everything that's transpired over the last several years. Um, I I know that that's not necessarily true Um, and that, uh, you know, there's there's no shame in the game to to ask for help, especially for us, because uh, not too many people understand what it is that we actually do and the things that we see on a day-to-day basis. So we have to be able to take care of each other in order for us to be able to take care of others.
0: Yeah, I agree with that 100%. You know, when when others hear that, you know, life is not always a Facebook post, um, they hear how there are challenges and struggles, I think that goes a long way. Um, Michelle, if you could give advice to other first responder families, what would you say?
2: I would say to keep asking the questions. Um, I tried asking questions to see if he was okay, and it didn't he would just shut down even more. Um, Try to be patient as much as you possibly can, because they are going to have bad days and that's fine. We just need to be supportive and listen. Um, And unfortunately, I think sometimes until they're willing to see that they need help, it's kind of hard to give help to somebody that doesn't want the help. Um, And I think we were very fortunate that Anthony finally saw that he needed help. And asked for the help and got the help that he needed to to make him better
3: and then Anthony what advice would you give to your first responder brothers and sisters
1: don't be afraid to ask for the help it's out there it's not gonna make you
3: any lesser
1: of a first responder uh, regardless of your rank Uh, same way with the, the le side it's not gonna make you any less of a police officer Uh, we, we all are people and have feelings. And uh, again, we, we see things that the normal person should never see, uh, and, and we're dealt with those cards. So we have to figure out a way for us to, to be able to take care of ourselves so that again, we can continue to take care of those that we, we swore to protect and serve.
3: That's right. Anthony, thank you so much for your leadership and, uh, helping us to break this stigma, like, like you are absolutely doing. And Michelle, thank you so much for being, um, a, a great wife to, to Anthony and thank you for all that you both are doing for the first responder community.
2: Thank
1: you. Uh, absolutely. Thank you guys for, for taking the time and doing this. This, uh, this means a lot. And, uh, the bridge, the program at the bridge, uh, was definitely a, uh, eye opener for me. Um, and, in all reality it, it probably, uh, probably saved my life i'm not gonna lie um i was in a pretty dark place and um i i didn't know how to get out of it or first of all believe that i was in that place until uh till we attended the conference and then then we're sitting there and every one of the speakers would get up and i'm sitting there thinking to myself i have those same problems i have those same issues and and again, Michelle sitting next to me, she's like, I've been trying to tell you that for years. And I was too dumb to, to recognize that, uh, that, you know, this, I'm not alone in this. So I think what you guys do as the bridge and these podcasts are outstanding. And, uh, hopefully the word gets out more and more that, uh, you know, it's okay to be broken. It's okay to seek out for help. And, uh, that everybody's able to, to finish out their careers, uh, a healthy career and a safe career.
3: That's awesome. That We're so grateful that, that, we were able to help you in that way. And we, we love hearing stories like that. And, you know, that's one of the main reasons we started this podcast is to extend the reach of the message of the bridge and, and to help as many people as possible. So thank you so much for that. Absolutely. And before we close, I want to do our praise of the day. And uh, every week we love to do these to shine some light on our first responder heroes. This one is out of Hackettstown, New Jersey. There was a police officer who came upon a house fire and he climbed through a window and was able to save the life of a 91-year-old woman. He carried her out and was able to save her. So that is super, super cool. So thank you to that officer for doing that. And that that is all we have for you guys on this episode. And to Anthony and Michelle, thank you again so much for taking the time and for all that you guys do for our first responders.
2: Thank you.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys.
3: And we will see you guys next time on First Responders Bridge, the podcast.